Welcome to the Untamed and Unashamed podcast. This is a place where together we can navigate through life's ups and downs with all of the vulnerability, compassion, and openness that we can muster, celebrating our bravery in all of it. Along with the help of guests from all walks of life, we'll discover new truths while doing some unlearning and we'll gain valuable tools for becoming who we already are while also uncovering our divine gifts. I'm Jade Bryce and I'm so thankful that you're here. Okay, so I'm going to continue with the exciting announcements that I've let you guys in on the last couple of episodes. My website is live, jade-bryce.com. You can do all types of things on this website. You can sign up for my newsletter. You can sign up for the Healing the Father Wound Masterclass. You can sign up for my women's program and see all the other ways you can work with me. You can read my story and read a little bit about Tantra. So much. And then... I I think it was two, yeah, about two episodes ago, I had on my teacher, Layla Martin. Her and her work has changed my life more than anything else. I just celebrated my 38th birthday and my 37th year was one of more pleasure than I've ever experienced in my life. And it's because I felt worthy of it. And it's because I allowed it to be merged with my spirituality. And that is through her work. In the show notes, you'll see a affiliate link if you want to do the program that I did of hers. It's a 12-month program. The most transformative thing I've ever done in my life. And you can also check out that episode. It's by far one of my favorite episodes I've ever recorded. So go check that out if you'd like. And today we have on Peter Craig. I have not had Peter on for Untamed and Unashamed, but my previous podcast, The The Magic Hour, I had him on twice, maybe three times. We did a live event together, which was all around intimacy and relating. And it was one of the most beautiful memories I have because we just facilitated so much connection. And so I'm so excited to have him back on today because that was gosh, three years ago. And I love having people back on when there's been that huge time gap, because it just, it's so cool to see like where the work has taken them and to kind of look back on the growth I've experienced since we've last dived into some similar topics. And Peter's just an amazing guy. He's in Austin, like I am. And anytime you meet someone in the community, and you bring up Peter Craig's name, their eyes just light up because he's just, he brings so much joy and value to everyone's lives that he is in. And so I'm so excited to share him with you today. He is a man that specializes in connection, authenticity, depression, anxiety, stress, and relationships. He teaches couples therapy at UT Dell Medical, is a sex therapist and eating psychology coach, and a facilitator of erotic embodiment. He helps people explore, gain insight, and take action towards greater health by overcoming behavior patterns and fostering greater self-compassion. He recently did a TEDx talk around men's personal growth. He is also the author of three books of poetry, Caravan of Lovers, Why We Keep Breathing, and Mirror of Fire, which aim to uplift and inquire into life's most meaningful questions. It's worth mentioning that he's also trained with my teacher, Layla Martin. Please help me welcome Peter Craig to Untamed and Unashamed. Hi. Hey. 
I was telling the listeners, it's been like three years since we've last done an interview. It was, it was a live one. So yeah. Yeah. So it's really exciting to dive in again because, you know, on this path, so much can change in three years. (laughs) So I'm excited to, to dive into all these topics with you. And before we dive into the main topic I want to discuss with you, which is peak erotic psychology, I would love to talk about your amazing TED talk that just came out not too long ago. I'm super excited for you. That's really amazing. Yeah, thank you. It was an honor and a joy and also nerve wracking. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. Golly. Well, so the core theme of it was basically men's men's healing. Um, I don't know if that's that's what you would call it, but maybe yeah, men's healing. And um, I'm would love for you to just kind of talk about that core theme and also maybe how we can foster, um, especially us as women can foster a nurturing space for men's healing. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. And yeah, I'd love to talk a little bit about what it was like kind of leading up to it just for fun, mm-hmm. but let me yeah. answer your question first. Um, yeah. So as a counselor talking about, our lack of initiation into manhood, into a sense of belonging, our place in the whole, it's easy to feel like a cog in the machine and that we're Mm -hmm. just kind of this uh, material consumer object instead of a living, breathing organism that's connected to all of life. And so I kind of am grieving that lack of initiation that I got and honoring the kind of tenderness and grief for men of not getting that and also paving a path forward. How do we give that to ourselves? How do we create Mm. that? And so there's organizations like mankind project, which I'm sure you've heard of um, where men go through, I got to do a weekend uh, four or five years ago where you go through this weekend with men and you confront some of your shadow and you hold each other accountable and you process emotions and you talk about what you desire and, you support each other and you leave or I left with a sense of belonging that I was a part of mm-hmm. a, a tribe and I'm still friends with a lot of people I met there and a lot of close people to me continue are doing men's work uh, regularly. And so how do we create rites of passage? How do we initiate ourselves or have ritual? That's kind of a theme I know you probably talk a lot about yeah. is rituals of remembrance mm-hmm. of our spiritual nature, of our connection with earth, with our connection to each other. And so really wanting to make it as easy as possible for men to wrap their head around that and be compelled to lean into that work, which can feel vulnerable and scary or weird or awkward if that's a kind of foreign world for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I did a seven day, I, I think I mentioned it to you last time I saw you, a seven day tantric retreat through Layla Martin's program. And it was, I think about 80 to 90 women. And every day was full of ritual all day long. Mm. And at the end, this woman, uh, I want, I think she said she was near 70. She didn't, she didn't look it, but she was near 70 and she stood up, you know, she was like in a leather one crotchless onesie and she like stood up and she was like, this is and she's crying. She stood up and was like, this is the first time I've ever felt like I belong. Mm. And when she said that, it was like, oh, me too, you know, like, and we're all just sitting there either in crotchless outfits or nude. (laughs) It, Man, that experience of ritual with like-minded individuals is so important for that sense of belonging and, and just finding your, your people that you're aligned with. You know, um, I recently had 
a circle of friends that I discovered I wasn't so aligned with anymore. And it really triggered my belongingness wound. And it was really hard for me because that was my sense of family too, you know, who I typically am with on holidays. Mm -hmm. So yeah, man, belongingness is so important. And it's like, like I said, even though I experienced the belonging at the, you know, this ritualistic retreat, I then had my belonging list kind of threatened here recently. So it's like, it comes in layers and it's this never ending healing journey. Uh, Go into the journey. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I know you said that you did experience kind of an initiation through that program. And I, I would love for you to mention how men can, um, experience rites of passage or initiations, whether it's finding a mentor and also, I guess, how, um, how can we help men feel a sense of belongingness as well? Yeah, there's different ways. I guess it's finding your own interests. You know, I mentioned the Mankind Project as something that people can do. Uh, a friend of mine, you may know, Monsol Denton, does yeah, sacred hunting. hunting trips with men. Mm-hmm. And so if that's, you know, you're into hunting, that could be actually a way to connect with a deeper vulnerability and a sacredness of uh, honoring animals lives. And that's definitely, I imagine a serious initiation where I've, I've had interest and also fear around the idea of doing that myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another example. I mean, I think military sports frats, that's kind of our, our relics of that initiation, but mm-hmm. The psychedelic community is actually another one, but there's there's a lot of shadow to that world as yeah. well, where people the, the quality of the space holding or the container can. Uh, as a therapist, I'm always curious about, um, but some people are doing great work uh, yeah. to a- allow people to come to their wholeness, be a part of a community that's about personal growth. Um, so those are some examples. There's probably many more. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and that kind of goes to some other things we might talk about around creativity is how do you find your unique uh, version of expressing yourself that makes you yeah. feel alive? And if mm-hmm. you can do that, you probably might find other people doing that or that people can be alongside you with that. And that's the kind of authentic community that can can initiate you into a sense of wholeness, into a sense of connection. And, you know, that's maybe different than a kind of like an intense rites of passage where you go into the forest for three days without food or water. You know, I have some friends who have done that, but I I haven't quite gone that far, but I'd like to, even though there's some fear, but that's kind of the whole point, right? Is we have to face something that um, is hard to face. So it takes courage to uh, lean into that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you said you were going to talk a little bit about um, what led up to Mm -hmm. a TED talk. Yeah. 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 So they saw an article I wrote for Austin Fit Magazine, uh, a TEDx group out of uh, Fort Worth. And so they reached out to me and I was surprised and elated to get a message from TEDx Westover Hills. And once we determined the topic, which was actually because some of the people on the panel had men in their lives, like in their early 20s, who had committed suicide. And they're mm-hmm. like, why is this happening? How can someone who's so full of possibility and you know, smart, loving people and families come to this? And there's a crisis of a lack of initiation into our spiritual world or to our sense of belonging is part of what they were thinking and I was kind of talking with them about. And so that was really tender. So the whole thing felt very meaningful to, to try to put a voice on that. And so it was three months before the talk of 
writing the speech, rewriting it, editing it. I was waking up every morning thinking lines from the talk, going to bed, thinking lines from the talk, and it kind of consumed my world. And um, and then it was time. And then practicing it with in front of people was a whole different thing because it's one thing to recite words, another thing to really communicate and express the meaning of the words. And so fortunately, I had a lot of support um, with my former partner and with friends, I'm very grateful for. And then it came to the day of being backstage and just reminding myself to be full of play and doing some power stance and some shaking. And uh, it was really cool hearing them call your name forth behind the curtain. And then you just go up and hope that it's there. And I practiced enough to just let it rip and it, and it went really well. So it was, it was an honor and a joy and, and definitely a, a terrifying yeah. uh, challenge. And so now I'm ready for the next one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm so, so, so proud of you or shining for you that you had that experience. Okay. So I love to dive into peak erotic psychology. I have not dived into this with anyone on the show yet. So super stoked. Maybe we can talk about, um, it, well, if you want to let the listeners know what that is, peak erotic psychology, and then maybe why erotic states are so therapeutic. Yeah, absolutely. So Jack Morin is a sex therapist or was, and he wrote a book called The Erotic Mind, which is really brilliant. And no one's ever replicated his work since that was published in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And he studied Abraham Maslow, who studied peak actualizers, people who seem like the most self-expressed, creative, fully embodied humans in the world. And, you know, became famous for his hierarchy of needs and self-actualizing. So mm-hmm. he wanted to apply that to sexuality. Mm-hmm. And so he created a sexual excitement survey and studied as many people as he could on what excited you. What were your peak experiences? What happened that made them so important or special? And he found a kind of a whole map of sexual healing and erotic psychology that uh, I haven't heard from anyone else since that I've find is really insightful mm-hmm. and you know it's calling on so that's that's the general sentiment is that we can transform negative emotions and access empowerment and self-discovery through intimacy mm. which maybe is obvious but when we make that really intentional that can be healing mm-hmm. and so happy to talk more about that yeah maybe you could tell us kind of what that looks like like someone hearing that that's like i want to try it yeah, <laughs> yeah. It is similar. It reminds me of Layla's work a lot. And it reminds me a bit of existential kink Mm -hmm. and even recapture the rapture. But I know his is like no other. So if someone's listening and they're like, hmm, what? okay, what do I do? Yeah. So in the workshops that I've taught, we will guide people through journaling about a couple peak erotic experiences. Mm -hmm. So just that's something listeners can do is just you think about one or two of the most exciting experiences in your life, writing about them. And then we would guide people through exploration inquiry. Well, what surprised you about these experiences? What were themes from these experiences? Uh, Were there certain dominant emotions? And what we found in most of those experiences is that there's some negative emotion, guilt, anger, frustration, disconnection that got transmuted into empowerment, freedom, Mm -hmm. excitement, love. And so I think that is offering a different map than conventional sexuality, where you're just trying to get some short term release. 
as opposed to actually all of you is welcome. Your negative, well, your shadow is welcome in that it's almost like shadow work can when you use uh, sexuality with intention to transform those emotions. Um, and so I think, it's, yeah, talking about it is one thing, but actually doing the journaling uh, is another. And in terms of actually how do you create those experiences, um, that's a whole different conversation. But I think it's about... Um, creating ideal conditions is, is one of them. And the other half of the workshops that I teach around the wheel of consent, which we don't have to get into that whole thing, but it's about how do you get in touch with your felt sense of desire and your felt sense of limits. And when you can access that, like, Oh, I realize this feels really good for me or this doesn't that creates a space to be able to create that with another person and help another person give you what you desire in ways that previously you felt maybe shame about claiming or that it felt uh, or else you didn't have the voice to say no. So it's like practicing uh, having a felt sense of your boundaries and your desires is a lifelong practice. Mm -hmm. And that's that we could spend the whole time just talking about that. But I guess what I want for people is to uh, be intentional about exploring, making time and space to check in with what have you not experienced that you would like to and what do you yeah. want to feel in your body and uh, also emotionally feel that you can mm-hmm. collaborate with someone or yourself to create? Yeah, that I'm, I'm glad you said that because I was curious if someone, you know, hasn't necessarily worked through their shame or their suppression. And so when they think of a peak erotic experience, they kind of go blank mm-hmm. if they could work with fantasy instead. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's usually, you know, discovering your core erotic theme Mm -hmm. is the kind of the heart of Jack Moran's work is that basically our eroticism is interwoven with us surviving our childhoods. And so Mm. he, he calls eroticism the kind of interplay of sexual arousal with the challenges of living and loving. And I think most of us, in my experience, feeling maybe not as empowered with a dad who was really kind of strong willed. And so I think a lot for my eroticism, like my core erotic theme is around feeling power. And so Mm -hmm. I'm realizing there's a way to feel power in a healthy way, but that's also taking control and feeling confident and guiding Mm -hmm. or creating an experience that's really beautiful. It doesn't have to be like aggressive or overly aggressive, but there's a Mm -hmm. sense of reclaiming that power. Mm -hmm. And so that's the opportunity with intentional sexuality and peak erotic experiences to reclaim some of the powerlessness that we may have felt or probably definitely felt in some way surviving our childhood. Yeah. And so I guess that's a challenge for listeners is exploring what's your core erotic theme, which if you look at your dominant fantasies, that's a great way to, to get closer to what would empower you to feel whole. And often mm-hmm. it's around surrender or power or, Uh, being desired or getting to desire. Yeah, that's beautiful. I know that his process of discovering your core erotic theme is very similar to the shamanic journey Mm -hmm. in the Michael Harner tradition, where you allow your mind to clear and you travel in your fantasy to the underworld to meet your animal spirit guide. People, I feel like have a lot of resistance to the word underworld, but I fucking love the underworld (laughs) (laughs) to where I remember who I am. And in in that scenario, um, you meet the central theme of your erotic imagination. And I know you mentioned your your central theme is power. Um, 
it feels like mine is connection, like, because I was so, as a kid, it was such a, I had such a dogmatic religious framework and how I was brought up and everything was so sinful. And, um, I needed to beg for forgiveness in order for God to even hear me, you know, like I used to have nightmares about God. Mm. And so, um, for me, it feels like, you know, when I tap into my fantasies, it's, it's like, even if it's a partner, you know, flogging me, it's not that he's just like using a flogging stick. It's that he's channeling God while doing it. And it's, in whatever exchange that we're doing, it's that we're seeing God in each other and we're experiencing God through each other and seeing each other as holy and each other's bodies as portals and and temples to worship at. And so for me, it's all very like merging the erotic with the holy. And so it feels like maybe my central theme is um, either like connection to God slash source or, um, feeling holy, like being seen as holy. Um, yeah. So, um, you, so you're a facilitator of erotic embodiment. Is that basically the same, the same type of work? Yeah. So combining somatic work, like the wheel of consent is somatic work, essentially of slowing down to notice what mm-hmm. is there. And, Uh, Betty Martins, who created it, says that your capacity, your quality of touch is based on how much you can notice. And Mm. so I think where I think what I'm most excited to talk about where I feel like we have a lot of resonance is that spirituality, sexuality, psychology all meet in the body. Mm -hmm. And and so that's. Mm. I felt it in my body when you said it. (laughs) And, and so in a society that moves fast and is threatened almost by slowing down, it's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge for me. And I imagine for most people listening to uh, really like get into the boredom or the unknowingness or discomfort of like, what do I feel in my hands? What do I feel in my Mm -hmm. body right now? Like Mm -hmm. even sitting there and doing a body scan, you know, in Vipassana, you do that for hours and hours. Like that's Mm -hmm. really challenging. It's easy to want to dissociate or feel something else. Um, Mm -hmm. And so as we create more of a awareness of what's happening in our body in the real, in real time, our desire and a felt sense of, I like this, I don't like this the kind of primal intimacy with our senses gets activated. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different directions we can go. Cause another topic I want to kind of get into is around we've been in a culture that's disconnected from our senses and therefore disconnected with earth. Yeah. And we've kind of dissociated to heaven far away or wanting to be in our minds, being able to kind of digitize all over the world, but there's actually mm-hmm what about the intimacy with the sound of nature and trees outside of the room and mm-hmm. listening and being in this kind of reverence and the belongingness of being with nature. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know I just took a turn there, but. Uh, yeah. No, it's beautiful. Yeah. And um, it does, you know, with the upbringing I mentioned with uh, this really religious framework for everything you know, it's, it's rapture mentality. So what's the point in taking care of the earth? We're all going to be, we're all going to waiting for the trumpet's horn or the, yeah, the trumpet's horn. And like this earth doesn't matter because we're all going to get raptured, you know? And, um, 
it in doing that, in disconnecting from the earth, it, it really is disconnecting from yourself, from your own body. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing I want to talk about, which I, I feel like you're getting to is, uh, there's another book I really want to mention that's really impacted me, um, Courting the Wild Twin. Oh, wow. I've never heard My of it. My aunt actually told me about it. It's a UK guy who uh, has lived a lot in the wilderness and guides people through uh, initiations of just being alone in the wilderness for days without food and water. And he's a poet and uh, a great writer. And in the book, he goes over some ancient myths, which I, I don't want to give them away, but I can talk a little bit about the book okay. uh, that... Eros by itself is, is, you know, just be dropping into the sensuality of any place in any moment. And, and so he says, we need to balance Eros and Amor, that life is this kind of constant rebalancing of love and Eros. And so, because if you go too far, just focusing on, on love and lose that kind of immediacy and presence and uh, erotic spark, then life can feel dull or mundane. And if we just focus on Eros and the erotic, it can feel empty. Mm. And so I think for myself and imagine just, you know, we're creating culture right now. Like we want to live in a culture that is psychedelic friendly and sex positive and connected with nature. And how do we manage that? I feel like we have to hold this deep need for love and, uh, falling in love with a specific place is how he talks about it. Like Eros can be anywhere as well as cultivate our erotic spark so that life feels rich and vibrant. I feel it staring at a tree. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. And you mentioned, um, I don't, did you have anything else to say about the earth before I move us to, uh, we can come back to the earth. Okay. (laughs) So, um, you mentioned like, kind of the pain and the shadow being in the turn on a little bit. And I'm just diving into existential kink. I mean, Mm -hmm. Layla references it. It's in her work. So I know I've experienced it, but I'm just diving into Caroline Elliott's actual work. And I know in the erotic mind, there's the erotic equation, which is like attraction plus obstacles equals excitement. And he says that although most couples envision this harmonious love life, that sexual arousal thrives upon conflict. And like that sentence, there could be so much resistance there, you know, (laughs) and, and it's, there's this like dark side of lust and he suggests that sex is paradoxical, which in his equation means full of obstacles. He says a foundational healthy approach to sex involves embracing the paradoxical as, uh, perspective. So can you maybe give us an example of this and, and yeah, maybe how we can use it in our sex lives with our partners, our, our intimacy with our lovers. Yeah. yeah. I think he's speaking to that life is complex and Mm -hmm. uncertain and full of mystery. And we're always, our minds are always wanting to have like, what's the answer? What's the label? What's the diagnosis? What's Mm -hmm. the relationship's good. Okay. It's good. Move on. Mm -hmm. And that loses some of the mystery and some of the depth of possibility. And so it's also speaking to our unconscious. You know, we, we live in a society where, where we're civilized, we call it, and we are not, a, uh, we're not allowed to feel certain things or say certain things or be certain ways. And mm-hmm. there's some reasons for that, but then there's also an edge of how much is our culture 
just relics of patriarchy over the past 6,000 years versus is there actually um, a future or a past where there's less violence against the self, less violence against each other and more integration of our bodies and our sexuality and our spirituality and indigenous mm-hmm. culture, for example, and yeah. traditional matriarchal societies. I'm not trying to make a statement about history as much as say that we have an unconscious shadow where we're like, we weren't allowed to feel something or we weren't allowed to say something as children, for example. And as adults, we have the adult responsibility with childhood play mm-hmm. is how Midori defines BDSM, which mm-hmm. I, I think is really cool. Cause when you bring into like our eroticism is a space for play. Yeah. We have to be responsible about our consent and desires Mm-hmm. Um, heal, we can feel wholeness. And that's what it's really about, I think, is how do you hold the wholeness and also our the places where we don't feel whole? Because yeah. if that's the tension in relationship, in a sense that you may have certain desires you haven't expressed with your partner, or maybe you have a mm-hmm. fantasy, and you can kind of stew on that, or, you know, it can build up as, you know, frustration, and so do you have the courage to bring up some of the, the, the dark tire of lust? Like I want to have a threesome or I want to explore restraint. Um, that can feel really triggering for people. Like I want to feel safe in my relationship. I also want to yeah. feel safe in myself that I have desires that are untapped. It's no secret that shame free sex and pleasure are powerful avenues to deeper connections and an overall sense of well being. And accessible, expertly designed toys can play a big part in getting you there and making you feel more alive. Dame is leading a sexual wellness revolution as a women powered resource for game changing pleasure products and supportive content. Started by a sex educator and an engineering whiz, Dame develops her products based on research and feedback from people like you. They're making better sexual experiences and more pleasure available to all. Dame's easy-to-use toys and accessories are made with body-safe, doctor-approved materials and smart design principles, and they've earned glowing praise from the New York Times, the Today Show, and many more including me. Whether you're looking to shake things up with your partner or upgrade your self-care routine, they've got something for every nightstand. Even better, Dame offers three-year warranties and hassle-free returns within 60 days, so your satisfaction is literally guaranteed. And I will guarantee you satisfaction because I use their products myself. They're amazing. My favorite one is their suction toy. I call it the clit sucker, but it's uh, spelt A-E-R. It's called AIR. It's a powerful arousal tool for fans of oral stimulation. It creates thrilling pulses of air and a soft seal around your clitoris so you can go all the way right away. Guys, I have like eight to 10 orgasms almost every time I use it. I use it during sex and in my own pleasure practice you will not be disappointed. They're also sending me a bunch of their other products, so I'll keep you updated. But as of right now, this one's my favorite and I highly recommend it. Go to dameproducts.com and use code JADE today for 15% off your order with Dame. Now on with the show. God, that play, I I didn't know that, that the BDSM uh, was related to childhood play. Uh, Who was that that you said? Um, Midori. She's a famous Shibari artist and oh, okay. educator. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's um, mm-hmm. 
That's really cool. In my women's program, before we move into uh, kind of like archetypal embodiment in our sensuality, we reclaim play, innocence, and adventure. There's like those three before we move into the archetypal. And for many women and men, the reason why that has to, why that's so needed, uh, that reclamation is because like you mentioned, like as children our play or our innocent, innocent exploration of our bodies or even of our, um, you know, the bodies of like the same age kids around us, it was seen as sin. And so there's a lot of parents who like intervene in children's, you know, sex play. And, uh, in this is like kind of a push maybe, but like, it feels almost like a form of sexual abuse because we're infringing on their sexuality. And, and just like when you actually sexually abuse a child, you are, um, stealing something from them. You're, um, you're violating them. This also feels like you're stealing and violating. And so I'm curious, um, you know, it was just so many of us can still hold that shame when we don't do that inner work of like, what are my first memories? Like what were, what were my memories of, um, like what was passed down to me? And, you know, there's tons of studies of where you can see, I I can't remember what, maybe this is in come as you are or pussy. It's in one of those books, but like the, the parents would make a disgusted like face expression at a toy. And then a six month old would not want to play with that toy anymore because that's how how quickly we pick up on signals of disgust. And so if we were touching ourselves and our parent even looked disgusted in that moment, then we take that on as that's bad, that's dirty, that's shameful. So for those listening who maybe were unaware and may have acted this way towards their children's exploration, even just shooing their hand away, whatever it is, or saying like, you can only do that in your room, whatever it may have been. What are some ways that you feel repair in a healthy and balanced way can, can happen? Yeah. Um, Jack talks about in his book, um, suspending judgments, Mm -hmm. being gentle on yourself and uh, trusting yourself. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's kind of the the vague first answer of is just how do you create a, a relationship with your sexuality where you're, you know, giving yourself time and space to be curious about your body and in a gentle, non-judgmental, loving way. Mm-hmm. And so one of the Layla exercises I actually did with a former partner on an Epic Lovers uh, course or something. I, I did that course too. Oh yeah, isn't it great? Yeah. <laughs> um, you're, you're basically holding your partner while they self-pleasure yeah. and you're kind of cheering them on, mm-hmm. you know, in an authentic way. And that was really healing because yeah. it was, going against the conditioning I had growing up, like I had to hide my self-pleasure and that it was wrong or that, you know, going Mm -hmm. Catholic, which funny side note in Jack Morin's, he did this sexual excitement survey I mentioned and the people who had the most peak uh, erotic experiences around the naughtiness factor, which is one of the pillars of eroticism uh, was we're Catholics. there's, There's this transformation again of negative emotion into empowerment through uh reclaiming that so uh so whether that's for yourself giving yourself curiosity time and space to to play with your Mm -hmm. body and see what feels good um and then uh, creating a lot of uh, bringing a lot of intention if you're playing with someone else around 
really helping them attune to you and your body. And again, slow down, take your time and express your desires and set boundaries and be as intentional as you can around uh, creating positive experiences. And again, trying to take outcomes out of off, off the table and focus on presence and uh, play, I think can be healing for most people. Yeah. Yeah. That, that experience was really healing as well. And I've one of, I mean, it's funny that you bring up the, the Catholic because um, I mean, we, we were just talking about the exploration and for me and a couple of friends that I know, like a kink of ours is like mutual masturbation, like staring in each other's eyes as doing that. And it like, that was before I ever did Layla's course. So like then to see that, that like how healing that actual practice is when it's in a conscious container and done as a ritual. Uh, I really, one of my favorites, which sounds so much less sexual, but I just love kissing so much was the tantric kiss. Mm. And I lead a lot of my, when I work with couples, I lead them through a tantric kiss and oh my God, the energy that I feel in my body, just facilitating that is really, really powerful. Um, so, um, when it comes to, so I love what you said about like how we repair that in ourselves. Um, do you have anything around, and it's okay if not, uh, around like maybe how to repair it with our children? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a, that's a tender conversation and a lot of people have kind of personal values. And so Mm -hmm. I, I honor people's personal values. It's your kind of container. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to someone yesterday, like, what is the role of the government or the state or schools to, to kind of do sex education? And Mm -hmm. my first thought was just around consent and kind of like the wheel of consent and, and my fantasy that's taught all over the world, you know, um, I don't know at what age exactly is the right age, but really uh, helping children trust their bodies and listen to their bodies. And so I think that's kind of a a general strategy. And so if Mm -hmm. there's, if you're making a repair, how do you kind of lead them back to ways to trust their body and, uh, and listen to their body and express their desires and not shame them, but be curious Mm -hmm. about them. Because I think the more you can do that, that's setting you up to not have to rely on outside sources to give you that wholeness, but you can follow the thread of it internally. Yeah. Yeah. I know um, there's so much controversy around government and schools and what they're teaching. And um, especially now with all of the recent movements that we've had, I would love for it to be something that we as parents were really empowered in and something that I, uh, for my kids is I kind of talk to them as if I I relate it to like our bodies as altars. It's like a place that you can worship at. It's a place that is holy. It's a place that is sacred. Um, you don't just invite anyone over to like worship at your altar, you know, but that there's so much treasure there and to like really, really spend a lot of time there knowing, um, just what, how much you can experience there. Because one thing that I really want my children to have is like that they know their bodies before they share it with anyone else, especially that feels really, really key. Um, so going back to, we were, we were talking about, uh, the erotic equation and I did have a follow-up question on that. Mm -hmm. So he talks about with like long-term couples, cultivating warm sex. Mm-hmm. I'd love for you to explain what that is for the listeners. Yeah. 
So that's where kind of like maybe how you might think it means it's not hot sex where it's all about chasing the high and the mm-hmm. passion. It's more, uh, it's not chasing high arousal or orgasm per se, but just the intimacy of being together and, you know, maybe lying naked together and eye gazing a lot and touching mm-hmm. your skin gently and focusing on connection and closeness as opposed to intensity or novelty. Um, and uh, this is kind of a segue, but Stan Tack in my couples therapy mentor talks about quiet love mm-hmm. um, where it's, it's kind of this knowing and this shared presence where it's not about performance or doing anything as much as sharing this quality and depth of presence. God, quiet love sounds so relaxing. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I struggle with, um, like overstimulation, like bright lights and, and abrupt loud sounds are really hard for me. Like I need all, I remember, I think maybe you were similar, but like, I need all like amber lighting at night, like no bright lights. Um, and so like the thought of a quiet love for me, it sounds so soothing to my nervous system. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So how can we up the quality of our erotic health before we move into creativity? I wanted to to close off with that. Uh, I mean, it's the kind of same themes we're talking about. You know, if eroticism is this tension between self and other. Um, and so we're like wanting to cross the bridge. You know, um, Jack talks about flirting is can only happen when there's a realization of distance. And so it's this kind of play of like possibly crossing the bridge. And, and so I think it's making that conscious. How do we... Uh, how do we play with the tension of, of life? <laughs> you know, I, I think on one level, eroticism, like you said, is just like being in nature and like looking at beholding the tree and hearing mm-hmm. it and feeling it and smelling it and being in your sensual self. Um, and then another layer more around like sexuality. Um, how do we enjoy the tension? And that's where the, the pillars of eroticism come in. I'll mention the first one, cause I think it's, so fun to share is longing and anticipation. Yeah. So Esther Perel says love is having and desiring is wanting and we need attention. Otherwise there's no spark too close kills the spark too far kills it. And so I think erotic health is about intentionally playing with that distance and with that kind of, uh, yeah, exploring what, what, desire do I have that I haven't expressed? Um, how do I build anticipation? Um, he has another interesting line around uh, skillful sensualists touch in a way that build anticipation rather than reduce it. Mm-hmm. And so that's, for example, like the conventional masculine script. If you watch porn is kind of just like get them naked and go for go hard and go fast and, and kind of dominate and, that turns out is not really great for the feminine and is slower and softer and attuned. Mm -hmm. And so um, how do we slow down again to feel the tension? Because if you feel like there's sexuality stale, if you slow down, all of a sudden that erotic tension naturally starts to build. Mm -hmm. What's going to happen next outside of the script? Mm -hmm. Um, So, and then the health part I think is more, fostering wholeness and you know i know you probably talk a lot about this in different ways part of wholeness is recognizing we have this shadow we have this unconscious and 
it's, there's no clean answer. Like it's life is full of suffering and challenge and it's full of wonder. So how do we make time for ourselves, prioritize things that are important to us in a way that we can feel whole? And that's a kind of an open question. Yeah. Hmm. Beautiful. So <laughs> I'm curious, I, I had a, a thought about the calm love or the quiet love, oh, sorry, yeah, yeah. quiet love. I, you know, I had Layla Martin on about two weeks ago. Oh, and sweet. Yeah, it was so good. Mm. And I asked her this and um, I'm curious your thoughts, but like when it comes to that quiet love that I just felt like my shoulders relax hearing about it. Um, Do you feel that that, how do you feel that relates to chemistry? Do you feel that when you meet someone and there's like intense chemistry, that that probably is not potential for that um, quiet love because there's a lot of trauma bond there possibly? Do you feel that that um, if you're desiring that quiet love, that it's likely something that like, you're more relaxed around the person initially and there's more of a, um, almost like a maturity in a way. What do you think? Yeah. I I mean, I think you can have it both. You can have passion and quiet love. Um, Mm -hmm. I think there's different stages of relationship, you know, getting past the honeymoon phase is that, you know, it's a, it's a neurochemical thing, like all the hormones and novelty from a new person, um, shift after a certain period where you're like, Oh, I know you, you're a known entity instead of this mystery. And so that's where the kind of challenging couples work around. How do you stay new for yourself? How do you prioritize yourself and how do you prioritize the relationship in a way that, uh, can stimulate newness to create that erotic tension. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think quiet love Uh, comes from feeling whole in yourself and being able Mm -hmm. to rest in stillness with the source in yourself. Mm -hmm. And so when you're around a partner and you track a partner who's doing that too, you can drop into quiet love at the early parts of relationship. And then sometimes it's steamy and exciting and passionate and, and sometimes it's quiet, but I think that's a challenge. um, I think for a lot of people to cultivate that. And one thing Jack talks about is this kind of never ending cycle, um, passion, um, desires to have fulfillment and fulfillment longs for passion. So it's Mm -hmm. kind of two sides of the coin Mm -hmm. in in the yang or whatever that there's different seasons, there's different moments. And so how do we be in this standing in the space between to have the deepest love and, the newness and mystery and erotic tension of that is every moment at the same time. And I think that's yeah. just like living with intention as a multidimensional being. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, the reason why that came up is I, you know, Alison Armstrong talks about how, like, if there's someone on the dance floor that you're looking at and you're just like magnetized to, and you're just like, Oh my God, I have to have this person. Yeah. She says like, go the other way because there's likely like <clears throat> that person's going to, which all lovers do, but like that person's going to bring up every trauma response in your body that there's just, that's what the chemistry is. It's basically a trauma bond. And so I started to kind of associate chemistry with trauma bonds. And I think now, like as a single woman, what I'm really leaning into is just like, I mean, chemistry is so fun. So not, not necessarily like avoiding it, but not letting it make me blind to whether there's compatibility. But at the same time, what you mentioned was like what Robert Johnson teaches is that 
for the first year and a half, you're projecting God on your partner so much that like, you're almost like you can easily mistake compatibility there because it's not until really a year and a half that you really know the person. And that's when you're really actually choosing to love. And, uh, yeah, where that, like the choice comes in, you know? So it's so interesting, all the angles and all the mysteries and Mm -hmm. we never really know either. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Stan Takin talks about in neuroscience, we, we need, we have a need for safety and security in our brain and also novelty and adventure. Mm -hmm. And so I think you're speaking to that of making space for both. How do we, um, yeah, we look for people who can make us feel alive and excited and turned on. And can we feel safe and secure? And you mm-hmm. can't discover that until you get past six months or a year or whatever to get into past the, this is fun into we actually have to confront the unhealed parts of ourselves together. And are we actually really willing to do that? Mm-hmm. And if you are, that's the next kind of stage of deep work where that yeah. quiet love can, can really flourish. Yeah. There's a, um, a Christian book I read when I was like 15, you know, at that age, I was reading all the books about how to wait till marriage, but (laughs) it, it, um, it stuck with me. I'm 30. I turned 38 yesterday and it's, it's, so it's been 23 years since I read the book. Thank you. But it stuck with me, uh, the, the stages of love that they spoke on and it was first love, which is that chemistry, that newness, all those chemicals firing. And then the wilderness love, which is like when you kind of face who they actually are and the annoying sounds that they make, whatever it is. (laughs) But really the wilderness is like, yeah, the wilderness is like maybe a miscarriage or infidelity, whatever it is. It's something like really freaking hard too. And then there's the invincible love, which is like, you know, the love is there to stay. And, and it sounds like that's the, the quiet love. So yeah, that book always stuck with me since I was 15. Wow. Yeah. And what I would add to that is in couples therapy, we talk about, you know, conflict happens. You're never going to make conflict go away. And it's probably not ideal if you don't have conflict ever necessarily, but it's about your capacity to repair and to reattune misattunements. And so I think when people have the wilderness and have the breakdowns, can you repair that? And typically if you can, then you're actually, you're stronger. You're there's, there's more of an acceptance of your imperfection or there's more maybe being seen parts of you that were hidden. And, and so I guess I want to impart to listeners, how do you have a culture where you're aspiring to repair with more skill with your partner, which means making authentic apologies or really hearing each other out when someone feels off or uh, making time to talk about difficult things when they don't feel resolved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember when I first met you, I don't remember who I'd interviewed, but they said something along the lines of like most couples, even in conscious partnerships argue, like it was something like 274 times a year. And I was like, I'm going to run this by Peter. I'm going to an opinion. And I remember I did, we we're sitting on your patio and I asked you and you were like, yeah, that sounds about right. And I was like, what? Like, I couldn't believe it. Cause I was like, that sounds so exhausting to me, like 274 arguments a year. That's like more than every other day. But when you bring in, like you said, that relational awareness, that ability to, um, yeah, look within, apologize, repair all of that, then it's really all just opportunities for more intimacy, even though still that is, it's a lot of work. Yeah. Um, we were going to discuss relational awareness. Is that basically like all of those things that you listed? Is that 
Is that yeah. Um, I mean, I think part of the challenge for men, myself included, is if you're growing up where you're not really curious about your emotions or you're not allowed to have emotions or you get punished for emotions that aren't aggression or anger or something like that, um, it's hard to be able to acknowledge our partner's emotions. So I think a lot of misses mm-hmm. and difficulties when uh, one partner, often male, is disregarding the other person's experience. Um, and so being able to track your own internal, what am I feeling right now? What's happening in my body right now is kind of one level. And another level is like what's happening in my partner's body or emotion right now. Can you track their nonverbal communication? You know, I, I love teaching couples that cause it's really practical and tangible. Mm-hmm. Um, like, can you notice if they're upset? Like what can you tell on their face or their body language? How do you, track that with more skill and practice your awareness and grow it. And then kind of thirdly, the relationship itself, like what's it feel like for both of us or what's happening in the room between us. And if you can aspire on a good day to track all that, you're more likely to attune and reattune and make good repairs instead of repeat old patterns where you miss each other. Or one feels disregarded or one has to blow up or et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. Okay. So we've touched on, we've like flirted with creativity a little bit, a couple of times. So I know this has been something that um, you've been looking at and the role that it plays in our lives. And you brought it up earlier when it comes to the erotic. So yeah, let's dive in. Yeah. One, I, I just had a recording session last night at the studio recording a couple songs with my band. So that's just mm-hmm. fresh. It was just like, yeah. so fun to be making music and being a part of a creative process. And the other is as we were uh, preparing for this talk, the first chapter in Sexual Secrets, The Alchemy of Ecstasy, which is uh, my favorite book on Tantra, which I'm sure I mentioned to you before. It's so good. Um, the first chapter is on the creative attitude and that anyone who's on a personal growth journey, it's really the challenge of life is to find your creative expression. And that comes from a sense of that there's meaning and purpose in life Mm -hmm. and that we're connected to the primal energy of the whole world, all of life that the, Mm -hmm. you know, the Greeks um, called Eros uh, or some philosophers identify Eros as kind of the glue and magnetism that all atoms and the whole universe is kind of spiraling in that tension Mm -hmm. um, of longing and, and, self and other. And so how do we connect with that primal creative force that's birthing everything? And, and so to me, that's just the cosmic optimism is, is what they call it in that book, cultivating uh, a cosmic optimism that we are connected to the whole, that we have something unique to contribute that the world is asking of us. Um, and so mm-hmm. kind of wanting to invite everyone into that and, and so creativity for me, I find, I feel most alive when I'm, I'm creative and highly creative. So music's been a big avenue for that. Playing guitar makes me feel good. Playing guitar with or for other people is some of the most cherishing moments I have because I feel like I'm expressing my unique self fully from my heart yeah. and people get to receive that. And you know, I'm in Austin, we're surrounded by a lot of amazing artists. And so getting to see my friends create on, you know, every different medium really uh, touches something essential. And I guess part of that belongingness is like, we each have a unique contribution 
in in the in the wholeness of of human being i would argue and so for wanting to talk about creativity is how do we align with that universal energy to give something that um, makes us feel alive yeah yeah it's uh this last few months has been a lot of transitions in my life and a lot of uh like going into the unknown and i will say that when it comes to creativity um our, our mutual friend Kimmy Inch said on her episode that creativity is linked to our genitals. And so I bring that up because what has saved me in these last couple of months of, of uncertainty or of transition is uh, my pleasure practice, which one would, would hear and be like, that oh, you're not using your creativity, but creativity is linked to our genitals. So my pleasure practice has really saved me and the messages that I get from source in that. And then, um, and, you know, you mentioned how important it is to go slow. Like I make sure too, that that's like a time that is very slow for me. And then the other time that I feel, um, so clear and that has really saved me during this time has been dance and dance, I, I, I maybe for a man as well, but especially for a woman, it's like, for me, it's, it is creativity. It's like, we're creating art with our bodies and it's like, almost for me, a form of meditating, a form of praying. And so I wanted to bring that up because those have been my two forms of creativity recently. I will, I mean, all year, but like that have really fueled me here recently and kind of like held me afloat. And so for those who might not know what their creative outlet is, um, you can just start with dance. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm so glad to hear you have those ways of expressing and also for me, dance and, and pleasure practice is a great way of activating that creative energy, the second chakra, the Sladisthana chakra. And, mm -hmm. you know, in Tantra, it's about channeling the primal energy of the raw earth first chakra and the creative sexual energy all the way up to our highest expression and connection with the divine mm -hmm. and then kind of circulating that energy. And, and so to your point, creativity is really about harnessing the energy that's already there and circulating it in a way that can open our heart and connect us to something greater. And that's another main point of the erotic mind where that meets Tantra is sexuality and all this eroticism is about enlargement of the self. It's mm -hmm. about realizing our little ego isn't as real as we think it is and that we are interdependent and interbeing with all things. And that when we return to that, or we remember that, or we connect with that, we have fulfillment. And, um, I want that for everyone listening. And uh, so dance, just being in our bodies, um, is such a great way to experience that. Yeah. Mm, thank you. Okay. So, before we go into the lightning round of questions that you might remember from previous episodes, um, since we last spoke so three years ago, uh, the last interview, we've both been in a conscious relationship. And for me, it was my first conscious relationship. So it was very, very healing for me. And, and then also a conscious uncoupling, which also was my first conscious uncoupling. So it was very, very healing for me. I had never felt so much love through, um, what many would call a breakup. I mm. felt so held in it 
And we, um, we would even physically hold each other as we grieved the ending of the relationship, which for me was, was just incredible. Um, you know, we just, we knew that we were no longer compatible. We weren't in alignment, but the love was still being expressed because we, we genuinely, genuinely wanted to be there for each other through it. Um, I'd love to hear your process on like maybe healing, uh, through an uncoupling or tips you have for integration there, because even though mine happened months ago, and although I have a lot of clarity and purpose on it, I'm still moving through a lot of sadness. And there's a lot of people that are listening that I'm sure could use the tips and tools for the healing and integration. Yeah. Well, I, I feel you and you know, I can relate a lot. Um, yeah, I'm still, still living in the tenderness of it, just grieving, missing the companionship and just how great of a person my former partner was and is. So mm-hmm. it's, it's still, it's still fresh. Um, yeah, I, I think making time for myself when part of me wanted to be around other people to kind of distract was something that was helpful for me, um, a period of that. And you know, kind of letting myself off the hook. I mean, it's, it's still uncertain and unfolding, but for me, not trying to force a certain process, but just allow myself kind of unstructured time mm-hmm. uh, was helpful for me, whether I wanted to watch a lot of soccer games <laughs> or um, kind of just do nothing or play music um, was, was helpful for me. The next chapter, which I'm in now is more being really social and reaching out for friendship and connection. And that's been really healing because I think when you, I've been kind of questioning a lot of things in my life after that separation, um, what's really important to me, what are my values? What am I doing with my life? And uh, that can be kind of unraveling. And then if I'm just with friends that know me and love me and we're laughing and playing life all of a sudden makes sense again. Um, Mm. And so again, that's pretty obvious, I guess, but prioritizing quality time with friends who are really supportive and non-judgmental is a, is a big part of that. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then creativity, mm. you know, again, when we make something, when we create something, we're new, life is new. There's something emergent. And I think the stories of breakup is kind of this like collapse of what you thought was, and that can be really feel very final or very heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah. when I make art or usually play music, there's this immediacy of presence that, you know, like there's joy and there's expression and play and that is healing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Lastly, I'll, I'll just say like spiritual practice, um, oh, yeah. of kind of composting all of the emotions, the full spectrum, uh, something mm-hmm. that the, the courting the wild twin, which I mentioned really stuck with me since I read it was uh, really authentic spirituality and living is about holding wonder and grief side by side mm. all the time. Wow. You know, if we're really present with life, there's this constant birth and death and impermanence that yeah. is, you know, deserves grieving. <laughs> and mm-hmm. as much as we, you know, we can get lost in grief, but the wonder of birth and transcendence and love and connection is the kind of endless salve of that too. Yeah. I think of, um, with every expansion, there's contraction 
um, after every plant medicine ceremony, there's always contraction after, and then it's the same as labor. There's the expansion and the contraction. It, It is, it's holding the grief and the wonder at the same time. And you mentioned, you know, your, your, um, previous partner being such a wonderful person. And that was something that I talked about with Jillian Tarecki about a month ago on the show is, you know, when, God, it's so easy to, not necessarily easy, but when you're going through a breakup and you're like, can't stand the person or they like cheated (laughs) on you. Them bad, me good. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, you know, you want nothing to do with them, but when, when you still see them as so wonderful and they played for me with, with my previous partner, they played such a huge role in your healing because they were the first person to ever give you certain things. Um, man, it's, it's, there's a different type of pain. Um, but something that she gave me hope in was that like, yeah. And that's your new standard now, you know, yeah, raising the bar. Yeah. And the fact that like, you didn't have to walk away because something was unhealthy or toxic. You simply walked away because there was a different pattern that needed to be broken. And now you've broken that pattern, you know? So that was really hope giving for me. And then I, you mentioned creativity. I, then took Maddie Moon's preparing for union uh, little masterclass. And it's very much about how to alchemize your pain from, from an uncoupling and something that man, I mean, I didn't, I don't even know if I finished the call because this, this hit me so hard and I just kind of like ran with it was um, how oftentimes when we're going through an uncoupling or we're grieving something, we tend to like, have our life force directed at it. And it just like, it's drained and drained and drained. And so like, she led us through a process to like reclaim our life force. And what do we want to direct that at? Mm. And it was basically like, yeah, what do you want to create out of this? And, and to put your life force towards that. And oh my gosh, that made such a difference for me. So Mm. yeah. So glad. Yeah. Okay. So there's a few short questions we like to ask everyone who comes on the show. The first is if you could hug your younger self right now, what would you say? Uh, I would say, um, enjoy your life and be in your body and be in your senses and stay close to nature. Mm. If you could have the whole world read one book, which would it be? Um, I'm going with the erotic mind. That's the theme of the day. Yeah. If you could whisper one phrase to everyone on the planet, what would it be? You are a crucial part of the whole and you're welcome here and can't wait to see what you create and invite your wholeness and creativity forth. Mm, Thank you. That's beautiful. Okay. Before we let you go, how can people work with you? Where can they find you online? All the goodies. Yeah. um, Presencewellness.co is my practice. And then my Instagram is Peter Craig Council. Uh, my TED Talk is called The Lost Man. You can just Google Peter Craig or YouTube Peter Craig Lost Man TED Talk. Amazing. Yeah. And I think it's it's about eight minutes, the TED Talk, right? No, it's 15. Oh, okay. 15. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's a good um it's like a quick listen that's really, really good. And um yeah, I, I really, if a man came up for you and your, and your thoughts while listening to this, it's very likely that they could benefit from that TED talk. So send it their way. Thank you so much, Peter. It's been so good to dive in with you after three years. It's a pleasure. Um, 
both of our energies are, um, they, I can feel that we're older, but in a good (laughs) good way, you know? (laughs) Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So great to be with you. All right, you guys. Hmm. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this talk. Um, yeah, if this was an episode that you stumbled upon because you love Peter, I would love for you to leave a review. And if everyone that listened to this episode will leave a review, it would do wonders for this show. So I would love for you to do that. I would also love for you to share this episode, especially with a man that may have crossed your mind during this talk. And uh, yeah, go give, go give Peter's TED Talk some love as well. I will tell you about the affiliates really quick before jumping off. So I mentioned Layla's course, the Uvita program. I mentioned that a couple of times during this episode. I have an affiliate link. It's in the show notes. If you sign up using my affiliate link, I do get a small percentage and it would mean the world to me. So uh, check that out. If you click on there, it'll also tell you more about the program just so you can see if it's for you. And then right under that link, there's the link for Gene Keys and Richard Rudd is a past guest and he's like a God, he's like a spiritual father to me. He's amazing. So if you click that link, it'll take you to his course about dreams and how to use dreams for awakening. But uh, there's also like other courses that you can go to from that link about love, prosperity, um, all types of things. So use that link. I'll also get a small percentage if you sign up and it would mean so much. And then actual products. So the best toys for sex at dameproducts.com. Code Jade gets you 15% off. My favorite is the Air AER. It's basically a clit sucker. I tell everyone about it. I travel with it. It's, I mean, I use it right before the episode, I'll be honest. (laughs) And oftentimes I will pair it with my pleasure wand, um, my cervical wand or my yoni egg. In my women's work, I teach you how to use these tools um, for de-armoring, for strengthening the pelvic core, for um, adding more sensitivity to this area and for manifestation, just so many so many things. It's it's endless what you can do with these. So I love the cervical wand. I love the pleasure wand. I love the yoni egg. I believe my yoni egg is a size medium. They also have anal plugs. It's a beautiful site and they're beautiful altar tool, altar items as well. So code Jade gets you a discount there as well. And if you guys are interested, if you want me to actually do like a solo cast about exactly how to use these tools, let me know, put it in the, uh, in your review or hit me up in a DM on Instagram and I'll do it. And then the last product is higher dose, all things infrared at higherdose.com. code Jade 75 gets you $75 off. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and being on this journey with me. It would mean so much if you leave a review, share an episode with a friend or join me on Instagram at untamed and unashamed podcast. As always be a light, stay open and remember you belong here.